The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. We are in our third week in Advent, also our third week in our sermon series, uh, The Songs of Christmas. And if you were with us two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Joe Casiglia talk about the song Joy to the World and Pastor RJ last week, Go Tell It on the Mountain. We're trying to tie these familiar Christmas carols together to get us deeper into the text of uh, the gospel, of the, the Christmas story, the, the narrative really, the historical account of Christmas. And I thought it was just it's, it's a neat thing to do uh, as we sing Christmas carols all the time year after year after year that we, we think about these songs. And, and really, I think it's good to know a little background to these songs. And so the song that we just sang is really the one that, that I'm going to focus on today, Angels We Have Heard on High. And, and when I did a little investigating and digging on this song, the history of it may go as far back as to the earliest followers of Jesus. The chorus part. Part of the angels we have heard on can go back all the way to, if you will, to apostolic times. That's crazy when I thought about that. Um, but angels we have heard on high the way we know it today, it's actually, it comes from France. It was published in 1855, came to the United States in 1916 with a kind of the same melody as it was sung 160 years ago. But before that, maybe even a thousand years before that, the earliest Christian church sang the chorus, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which means glory to God in the highest. You know the first verse of that song, right? Angels we have heard on high, what? Sweetly singing or the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their what? And then all together, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Now, I looked up even actually how to say the word because I don't know Latin very well. I say, I used to say Excelsis, but maybe you do. Maybe it's Excelsis. I don't know. Any Latin scholars in here? Because we sing it kind of Excelsis, don't we? It doesn't really matter. Excelsis. We say Gloria. Gloria, not a name of an angel, Gloria, but glory to God in the highest, to the, to the highest high. And really, um, I, looked, I looked into this 130 A.D. Okay, so this, when did Christ die? Roughly, 33 A.D., right? 130 A.D., there's this, this bishop of Rome or a pope, Telesphorus, or Telesphorus, Telesphorus, who, who issued a decree that every time we celebrate the, the birth of Jesus, a Christmas service, that after a certain reading, after a certain prayer, the congregation is supposed to sing Gloria in Excelsis. 130 A.D., and then the monks would then carry that all over the land. And then by the third century A.D., most Christian churches at the time of Jesus' birth, when they would celebrate it, would sing Gloria in Excelsis. So get this. If that song, that chorus part of Angels We Have Heard on High, uh, was written, you know, just about 100 years after Jesus' birth, it's, I think it's kind of intriguing and, and, and thoughtful to just think about. Might someone have actually known Jesus as a Christ follower and still be alive as they sing this song? I think it's just a great testimony to the fact that as Christian, Christians, God has built in us this want to sing 
a truth that he has proclaimed in the scriptures about who he is and what he has done. And they did that from the very beginning. So this song, Angels We Have Heard on High, can go back to the history of Christianity. And what I'd like to do is just kind of break that down, this song, from angels to shepherds to, to the chorus. Angels is what I want to talk about first. That's a, the, really the first word. And how many songs do we know that have Christmas carols that have angels in them? I mean, there's a bunch, right? We sang angels we have heard on high, angels from the realms of what? Glory, hark the herald angels sing, and you might even know more, but uh, even uh, uh, the song that came upon a midnight clear has this line, when angels bending near the earth. I'm sure there's many more, but why shouldn't we sing about angels during Christmas? Because they had a huge part in this Christmas account, about this true account that, that Luke gives us and how Jesus was born. I mean, we know the, the angel comes to Zechariah in, a, in, in, in the temple. Zechariah, you're going to have a son, John the Baptist. He comes to, to Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. He comes to Mary. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Angels do a lot of work. And so I thought we don't do this very often, but why don't we just ponder a little bit about the work in the ministry of angels? And to get us ready for that, we took a little interview of one of some of our most precious kids with faith. And I want you to see what they think about angels. What are angels? People that have died and that have came to heaven. So what do angels do? Fly. <laughs> and they um, have magic powers. People that, that can fly and they go to heaven and they and they and they and I think they tell God how people are doing. People that fly and wings. Do angels only fly or do they do other things? They talk to people. What do they angels tell good news? I think their job is to maybe send messages from God. I think the clothes are made of sunlight, not fabric. They go to the people. They help people. And go to the people. Yeah. How do you think angels smile? Can you show me how you think they smile? That a girl. To send um, messages about Jesus and um, Jesus Christ. To send messages like um, when they sent, um, when they put um, Jesus in like that tomb, he, um, God sent that angel to tell the, um, because people went in that tomb to look because the stone wasn't there. Um, God sent an angel to tell them Jesus is not dead. He is um, alive. Does that har uh, warm your heart today? That we have these little ones of faith. Where do they get this information? Is it accurate? You know, is it from the Bible? Is it from movies? I mean, one of my favorites uh, that I watch every year around this time, It's a Wonderful Life. You remember uh, the little daughter that's holding on to her daddy, and, and, he, and the daughter goes, Daddy, teacher says that every time a bell, what, rings, an angel gets his? Yeah, so how accurate 
of information do we have in our heads about angels? I mean, in, in medieval times in artwork, you know, you always see these chubby little babies with, uh, that are pictured as angels with harps and, and songbooks and all those kinds of things. What do we know about angels? Angels, the word anyway in the Bible, is used at least 273 times in the Bible, at least that much. 17 books uh, in the Bible have the word angel in the Hebrew in the Old Testament part. The, the Hebrew word is malaka or malakim. In the New Testament, it's, it's angelos, like Los Angeles, the city of angels, or angeloi. So angels, what's that word mean? It really means messenger. But is that what angels do? Are they just messengers? Well, they're more than that, as we're going to see. But as messengers, especially at Christmas time, they have a really special uh, place uh, in God's uh, telling of, of his Christmas story, bringing Jesus. So I want you to open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, found on page 1591 in the Bibles we provide. We're going to read about this true story of that first Christmas. And just specifically, what did the angels do? What did the shepherds do? And we're going to talk about that. Beginning in verse 8 from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, like angels do to most people they come in contact with, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. God entrusts a very special message to angels who carry forth that message to shepherds and to the world. The fact is that this Christ, this anointed one, this Messiah has been born and it's for all the people and it's news Good news, they say, of great joy. I thought it would be a kind of fun thing to do today to have a fact or fiction quiz about angels. So feel free to voice your opinion, fact or fiction. Don't worry if you fail this, this little quiz. You're still going to have a special place in heaven. God promises it. So just, just think about is this fact or this fiction? I want to hear your answer. Angels are human beings that have died and gone to heaven. Fact or fiction? Okay, heard more fiction on that one. And what do you think? I mean, you heard it in the video. You know, human beings, they, they die. Have if, if you ever been to a funeral, right? Oh, she's gone, he's gone, and is an angel of God now. Maybe that's what you believe right now. But the Bible really doesn't say that. The Bible says that when we die, our bodies go to the earth, and our souls go to be with God immediately. Or to be in hell immediately if you don't believe in Jesus. That's what happens. The scriptures say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's the key word, invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for him. Angels are the invisible created beings. They're not human beings. 
A Bible passage that, that helps us kind of differentiate that humans are different than angels is from one of the oldest books of the Bible, Job. Job chapter 38, verses 4 and 7 says this, as God speaks to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who marked off its dimensions? Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its foundation? While all the who? Angels shouted for joy. You see, here we know that even in creation, angels were created before people. That they were there shouting for joy at God's creation. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 also makes a differentiation. What is man that you are mindful of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Human beings are not angels, and we don't become angels, so this one is right. It's fiction. Fact or fiction. Angels sang at the night of Jesus' birth. Fact? Fiction? You know, it might be kind of strange to ask that question because we always see angels with, with songbooks and harps and, and singing, and, and really the answer to this question is fiction. What? Are you kidding? Look at verse 13 of Luke chapter 2. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and singing. Or what's it say in there? What? Saying. In fact, there's very little scriptural evidence of angels singing. We don't even, in Revelation I have in the back, maybe that's the angels sing, but, but they're, they're not in Scripture. They're really not singing. They're shouting. We know angels shout. They're calling out to one another. They're speaking a message, but it's kind of hard to determine with certainty that actually angels sing. The closest one we had was Job. When they shouted for joy, actually before that it said the morning stars were singing. So what are morning stars? Are they angels? I don't know. Morning stars were singing. The angels shouted for joy. So that one is fiction, at least at the night of Jesus' birth. Fact uh, or fiction, angels can fly. Ooh, you got silent on that one. You were going, right? <laughs> Fact or fiction, angels can fly. I told you, you still have a special place in heaven. There's a room prepared for you, God says. What? Fact? What do you think? Well, it seems like this one is a fact because Isaiah and Ezekiel, these prophets of old, they have a hard time describing angels, but yet we at least know that two angels have wings and one of them indeed flies. Isaiah chapter 6, above him, that's the Lord, were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. Maybe they couldn't even look into the, or gaze into the glory of God. But with two they covered their feet. With two they were what? Flying. They're flying. And they were singing? No, they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Hebrew word for seraph means burning one. Burning one. Maybe it kind of describes or indicates the purity of his angels, God's ministers. Some angels, they're called seraphim, seraphs, a plural seraphim. Some are called cherubim, like Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 10, verse 19. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. Is that flying? Maybe. They stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. These were the living creatures I had seen, and I realized they were cherubim. Each had four faces and four wings, and under the wings was that uh, is what looked like the hands of man. 
These types of angels, seraphim, cherubim, they're hard to describe, but the cherubim, really one of the first mentions of angels uh, in the book of Genesis, cherubim were guarding uh, the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve were cast out. Here's a portrait of what an artist thought to describe cherubim. They're described as attendants of God's throne. The cherubim are the ones that are placed on the Ark of the Covenant, uh, a model of that cherubim. I mean, how do you describe it? In other parts of the Bible, angels uh, appear to have great knowledge, but they're not omniscient, or great power, but they're not omnipresent, and they can move about, whether they're flying unobstructed by our physical laws. I I don't know. Daniel 7, 10 says angels, there's 10,000 times 10,000, a multitude of angels, almost like an army, and even with maybe a rank, because we know that there's one that's an archangel. The archangel Michael. And we know from the Christmas story, there's another one named. Who is that? Gabriel. And then in Latin, which means light bearer, we know the fallen angel is Lucifer. At least three names of angels. Fact or fiction, each Christian has been assigned a guardian angel. Fact or fiction? Fiction? Fact? I'll say maybe. Maybe. Why is that? Well, first of all, we know what angels, they're not just messengers, but they're sent to us to protect. Psalm 91, verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And from Hebrews, our angels, angels are spirits. They're not humans. They're spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Are you going to inherit salvation? Yes, with confidence, I can say that too, not because anything I have done, because what Jesus has done for us, that's why he came. So if you're going to inherit salvation, then angels are sent to minister to you. But here's the key of why I think it's more fact than fiction. Jesus says in in Matthew 18.10, as he's preaching, he says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. The earliest Christian church really believed that there were guardian angels assigned to each one person that's a Christian. In fact, in the book of Acts, as Peter uh, is helped by an angel of the Lord, he escapes from prison. He knocks at the door of the disciples, maybe at nighttime, I can't remember the, the facts, but he's knocking at the door. There's a servant girl named Rhoda who answers She looks, she sees Peter, and she doesn't even open the door. She goes back and runs and tells the disciples, it's Peter, it's Peter. And they all say, oh, you must be crazy. What are you talking about? And the the words in the Bible, it must be his angel. It must be his angel. So even the earliest Christians believed that there were angels that would guard and maybe even protect and come into the appearance as, 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 as men. The Bible often describes that, uh, that they would come and they would be, uh, be made in a human appearance. So you know the book of Hebrews? It says, don't neglect to entertain strangers because you might just entertain who? Angels. Angels. And so how many of us have heard stories of, of people in perilous situations. They, they say, well, this, this guy, he was right here. And then he's gone. Where is he? I know in my life, uh, I felt the presence of God's angels so clearly. It was probably eight, seven, eight years ago. I'm coming back from St. Louis on a day like this. And my kids, I'm not kidding you, they counted 30 accidents on the road. 
6.30. It took 14 hours to drive from St. Louis back home uh, here. 14 hours. And you remember I used to have a big Bose bus, a 15-passenger bus. You know, oftentimes the tires were worn and all that. Well, that was happening. My father-in-law kicks me all the time. He just feels like he kicks me. He just looks at me when my tires are worn down. Yes, I'm going back to St. Louis again. Um, but... All of a sudden, the midnight comes around. I'm driving. Six kids are all sleeping. I'm down Wyandotte, Lincoln Park. uh, And I felt like there were 30 accidents that I just saw. I'm white-knuckling it. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you probably want me to stop and get a hotel room. I get that. But I got to get home. And so as I'm getting home, there's no cars behind me. There's no cars in front of me. And I just knew there was a big patch of ice right there. And yes, you could say I'm an idiot. I am. I drive, and I felt like just God's presence of his angels were lifting the car up and just making me go forward. Like I was just going straight, not swerving to the left or the right, but it was incredible that I made it home. I had a knot in the back of my uh, neck and, and back for a week after that. And I just said, praise God that he has his ministering angels all over us, that it is a battle not against flesh and blood, right? But against, it's a spiritual battle that, that these evil angels, who I don't have time to get into who evil angels are and good angels, but all around us, invisible creations of God ministering to us, incredible. So we're gonna shift our attention from those angels back to that song about shepherds. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why your joyous strains prolong. What gladsome tidings be that inspire your heavenly song. Gloria in excelsis. Deo. The angels who gave that first message of the gospel to shepherds. Go to Luke chapter 2 again, verse 15. We're going to read down to verse 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds, in verse 20 then, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds, their reaction to the angels and the glory of the Lord and their action of hurrying off, of spreading the word, describing what they had seen and heard as they heard it from an angel. Now, I just want you to think about that very first Christmas. Luke goes into great detail about what happened that night of Jesus' birth that angels actually announce it to shepherds. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, God has this unbelievable announcement that there's a Savior of the world that has come, and he's going to give it to shepherds. He doesn't give it to the leaders of the world. There's a, the peace of Rome that's happening, right, the Pax Romana, and he doesn't share it to those leaders. He doesn't share it to the religious leaders of the Jews, but he gives it to these lonely and lastly, these, these shepherds who are unclean, who couldn't even go into the temple to worship. In fact, the people at that time, the people of Israel, couldn't even bring a shepherd in to to be a witness in court for them. They were were known as vagrants and thieves and liars. And you're going to give a message, that message to shepherds, that he would choose them? 
I kind of scratch my head. God, if I were you, you know, I mean, I would give it to Rome. They could get it out right away. Why, why, why are you doing this? But angels tell shepherds, shepherds tell people, and the Bible says they were amazed. I'm like, amazed? No, duh. They're probably not even believing these guys. What are you talking about? What's this news you want to tell? What's the testimony that you, I don't even believe you? Yet, they're so filled with the glory of God that people believe. And then it just it helps, me remind, it helps remind me of a, a phrase, a se- couple sentences in the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that God chose to use the lowly things of this world, the foolish things of this world, to shame the wise. The weak things of this world to shame the strong. How like God to use undeserving people like me and like you this Christmas time to share the gospel message, the good news that Christ is indeed born for all people. You see, when the glory of God comes, when the glory of God comes to those shepherds, when the glory of God comes to me, it makes a difference. You receive it with faith. And that faith goes then into action. What do those shepherds do? They go and do exactly what God told them to do. We're going to shift a little bit from angels to shepherds to the back to that chorus. Gloria in excelsis Deo. It means glory to God in the highest. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. If you know a little bit of Old Testament history, you know the glory of the Lord. It, it scares everyone. Priests couldn't even enter the temple without dying because the glory of the Lord and his presence is around. This splendor, this experience of this fullness of God, it's a word. The glory of the Lord, it means weightiness. When the glory of the Lord shows up, it impacts your life. And what is the, their response? They're terrified. You see, when the glory of the Lord shows up, it exposes us for who we are. Sinful people, when God's holiness comes and we understand the weight of his law. You ever ask anybody this question or has a question been asked to you like this? What do you think God thinks of you? What do you think God thinks of you? You know, many people say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I think he thinks I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I try to obey what he wants me to do, these Ten Commandments that I know about, right? And next to that person, I'm better than him. So, you know, at least God knows that I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to, to do good. But is God fine with that? See, many of us struggle to see the holiness of God and that he is a God of wrath, that he will punish sin, that he will judge sin. And then any little sin, big or small, God is offended by. And yet when we understand that, maybe some of us are in a place right now like, I know what I just did this past week or what I didn't do. And maybe you're struggling right now. You're feeling like, I need God's grace. I need his forgiveness. I can't handle this life. I need somebody to save me. That's exactly what the good news of Christmas is all about that this love came down in the person of Jesus, that grace came down, that when we realize the weight of our sin, that we've seen the glory of God and we feel it, 
The Bible says, I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, our Christmas carol, it says these words about the shepherds. Why this jubilee? You hear the joy? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be that inspire your heavenly song? Experiencing the glory of God as these shepherds did, it brings faith. It brings trust in our hearts. It deepens our faith. The shepherds then, they say, let's go and see this thing that has happened. You see, when the glory of God shows up, not only to expose our sin, but to, so that we could see our Savior, we're blessed. Now, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time, and it is the most wonderful time of the year, as you heard that song how many times on the radio. At the same time, when we're living our life, and we're down in the yuck and the muck of things, right? I don't know about you, but I experienced this thing, and it's called overwhelmness. Over, overwhelmness. Maybe you're going through that. Maybe some of you are in school right now. you got final exams this whole week. How am I going to study for all these exams? Hey, maybe school will be canceled. I, I don't know. How am I going to get everything ready in my home for Christmas? How am I going to get through the holiday season when I know I'm going to see that brother-in-law or whoever it is and the conflict's going to happen and all that stuff? How am I going to pay that bill? How's my 16-year-old car going to make it one more winter? I don't know. How am I going to live my life when I experience that uh, my son's going away first time off to college? God, are you going to take care of him? What about illnesses? God, are you going to heal me tomorrow, today? What about surgeries? All that stuff. And you might look at me and say, well, you're the pastor. You tell me. All I can tell you is what I tell myself. Pray. Pray and trust God. We're his creation. He's the creator. He's got everything under control. And remember the angel Gabriel's words to Mary? Nothing is impossible with who? With God, nothing is impossible with God. I pray that as you go through this Christmas season, you would experience the glory of God, that it would deepen your faith and your trust in him. How many of you have been uh, at Christmas time to a mall with a little kid, whether you're holding them or in your hand, and you get in line to see Santa? Okay, and the kids are, are screaming, Santa, Santa, I want to see Santa. And as you go through that line, and I don't know how long you wait, and finally you're almost there to see Santa, and the kid goes, I don't want to see Santa anymore. Nope, no thank you. Terrified. That happened to me actually in this building about nine years ago with my son Nathan. Here's a picture of him. He's clinging to my arms. An Indian Santa at that, at the Tamil worship service. You see, he's not crying or screaming. He feels a little safe because I have him in my arms. You see, when it comes to an almighty God and his glory, we're all like my son Nathan. Every single one of us, when the glory of God is too great, when we experience the weight of his law, there's too much sin in our life. There's too much fear. There's too much weakness. What we need is for someone to come in the middle, to be a mediator so that I can be safe going before a holy God and coming into his presence. And that person is who? Jesus that's why he came to earth. Love and his grace and his mercy comes down on Christmas time to do exactly that for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What is it in your life right now that's making you feel like maybe there's a, some kind of thing blocking you between God? What sin is it? What do you experience? What trial? What tribulation? What is it? Would you speak that out in your hearts and in your minds to God, knowing that you have a mediator? Would you confess that I've done things wrong this week? You told me to do this, God. I didn't do it. I did the things that you told me I shouldn't do. And then when we have that fear, can we praise God and say, God, I am unworthy to come to your holy presence, but because I have a mediator, his name is Jesus, you forgive all my sins, and I'm humbled, and I'm grateful, and we can worship you who took the punishment for all our sins. What a blessing that is, that we would be moved to worship this Christmas time. I want you to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Look at verse 14, and would you say those words with me? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Brothers and sisters in Christ, his favor rests on you. Saved sinners. So as we approach this Christmas time, would you do these things? Would you consider being like the angels of God? That you would share this message, this wonderful truth, this word of God that as it comes down like snow is coming down, it's not going to return empty to him. It's going to accomplish his purpose. So in your relationships, in the opportunities you have in school and work, would you do that? Would you be like the shepherds that they see this Jesus and they go and they spread the word. They obey in faith. They go and they do. And they glorify him and they praise him for who he is. And would you admit, just like they did, that they don't measure up. They knew it that his amazing glory is too much, yet we are moved to worship the one who took all our sins. That's what Christmas is all about. Love came down.